Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book diva, Bonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie, Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. That's the cat that like wakes me at three in the morning and then at six in the morning and then at Is your cat's name Echo? Because that seems to be the story of my life. (laughs) Her name's Mina and I'm really thinking about leaving her in like, you know how hospitals have those baby baskets? (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking about leaving her in one and seeing if they'll take her. I bet they would. I bet the sheriff's department would take her. Sheriff's department will take her and then arrest you. (laughs) I used to say that about my kids all the time. Like, anytime they were pissing me off, I was like, I could still leave you in that fucking baby basket at the hospital. (laughs) You're not too big. Every time we see it, it's like, look, there's the baby basket. Strap you in. And I'm like, that's the worst thing to have a private joke with my family about. They're like really fancy ones. They haven't come across my TikTok in a while that are in like fire departments and police stations where it like opens from the outside, you put the baby in and when you close it, it locks. Yeah, cause I was see, I saw that, Um, I forget there was some state and they were like, we had, cause people don't use them very often, mm-hmm. but some state was like this, we had our very first it was, I think encounter it was with a baby in that baby boxy mm-hmm. thing. Like, and yeah, they were and- all, Excited does it have like an alarm or something that goes it off? Does. It does. It ha- I was going to say, what if they like don't know that the baby's in there and they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot to check. I forgot no, to I check think it's the like box. a weighted does thing. Anybody like, check the baby basket? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Any- a weighted thing. Like it senses yeah. like on a scale, and then it, but it it's like a four or five minute delay to give whoever put the baby in the box time to leave the parking lot and not feel like the police are going to come chase you down. So it's like, yeah. it's not a very long delay. It's probably like five minutes before it alarms in the station that there's a The baby rule alarm. is there either has to be an alarm or if it's a basket, it has to be placed in such a location that there's always a staff person that can see it. Yeah. Which is why the baskets aren't used very often. I was going to say, like, I would think that would make it undesirable for somebody. That's to why they started making those boxes because at first they thought, oh, the baskets are enough. And so now places are trying to get those but but the boxes obviously are way more expensive and you have to build them and yeah you have to build them like into the buildings so you have to cut out right. the brick and all the wiring and yeah but it was yeah they the sheriff was like super excited he's like we have a baby in the box <laughs> like <laughs> I, okay, yeah so, megan i have to ask you as a harry styles fan yes another girl in the play with me was that we were talking the other night and she used to write Harry Styles fan fiction. Oh, uh, bless her soul. Yeah. She said she wrote a story that got 5 million reads. I was like, damn. Which one did she write? After. You should ask her what the name of the story is. And I can tell you how famous it is. There is 5 million is a lot. Yeah. That's- Megan's like, I'm reviewing that next week. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to punk Martha with that the one day. And she wasn't fucking listening. <laughs> 
Because she knows if she let you do Harry Styles fan fiction, I'd end up doing my Star Trek fan fiction. We should do uh-huh. we should do that one time as like a Patreon, Pat. We should pick like our favorite fan fiction and review it for Patreon or something. I like was that just would actually... gonna say that. That would make a really good Patreon episode. Uh-huh. Fan that fiction. Would be fun, yeah. And just real quick, speaking of Patreon, for anyone who's looking forward to our what was it, sink or swim episode? Mm-hmm. Um yes. the that has been put off for a little bit since Martha cannot be with us this week and me and Megan are going to do a very short mini Patreon that will be put up sometime this week about book two TV series. Yes. And a couple in particular, but we're not going to give spoilers. So Megan, (laughs) button it up. I know you're excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be like a little mini Patreon episode of Bonnie and I having a lot of fun talking about things. things. I totally forgot about Sink or Swim. I guess it's a good thing we're not doing it because I <laughs> completely forgot. Whoops. Whoops. Well, I mean, it's not like it doesn't have to be in a specific month. That's why we were kind of like, you know, we can put that off for a month because it's kind of like a summery, beachy kind of thing. People drowning. That's beachy and fun, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that is the kind of beach read I want. Because (laughs) massive shark attack. Just go read Jaws and enjoy your summer Can I please be that person on the beach, like reading Jaws? (laughs) That's a bookstagram worthy moment. Like just sitting in the beach, like reading Jaws with your feet in the water. That would be the best fucking picture. If next time I go to the beach, yeah, that's doing it. Totally doing it. I was just reading today that um, a great white just got stranded on Myrtle Beach and the people actually tried really hard to get it to go back out but it got stuck in with the tide and died oh um, it was not like a little thing i don't think and i and the whole time i was just thinking god bless those people like because i'd be running for the hills and screaming and they're like oh but it's almost dead and i'd be like good yeah but there's something about like it thinking like think about if someone like he's basically drowning in air yeah yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I feel bad for it. Like, I would at least attempt to put you back out in the water. Well, like, to be fair, I mean, if somebody's like floundering in the sea, the fish don't come up and try to save it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Supposedly dolphins will. Dolphins yes. Oh, well, OK. Well, we also don't eat dolphins, so That's no. true. they don't have reason to hate I mean, us. We don't. Some but- somewhere does, I'm sure. But we we don't. <laughs> That's true. But dolphins are not your average fish. Like, yeah. They're not fish at all. Well, that's no. Have you seen a dolphin's brain? It's ridiculously huge and really complicated. I mean, like they've put it next to a human brain and a dolphin brain. I'm like, how are they not running the world? Because they don't have feet. They might be running the world, and we're just its puppets. They're the Illuminati. Yeah, the the dolphin (laughs) or the Illuminati. We just don't know. That's really why we haven't like colonized the sea because the dolphins are like, listen here, bitches. <laughs> Wasn't that like Douglas Adams' like whole premise of, of his like, so long and thanks for all the fish? The, the white mice were running the world too, and in, in oh yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide, yeah. <laughs> then I'm, dolphins I'm... could be the aliens that are living among us. That's mm. true. Yeah. Um, I'm deep, deep down my Sequest DSV rewatch right now. So I am very in my like in the sea phase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, Darwin 1000% talks. Absolutely. He does. Yep. That is fact. 
And then wow, my mom was like, where are you watching Sequest? I was like, on Peacock. And mom's like, is that on my TV? I said, yes. <laughs> and so now mom has started. I'm on like season two. And I guess I like committed show plots to memory far better than my mom does. Because like I walked into the living room at her house today and I was like, so two seconds of a clip of Sequest. And I was like, oh, this is a good one. And mom's like, you only know that because you just watched it. I said, no, I remember this from when I was a kid. Like... <laughs> As we get older, we have to decide what stays in our brain. And some of those things have to go so that we can remember our own phone number. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing watching shows that are older like that and then thinking, yeah, they would not show this on TV today. This is so not right. How did we not catch this when we were watching it? They did have the safe sex talk with. Yeah, they did have the safe sex talk with Lucas, kind of. Because he was going that to a was party. A different than it be now too. It was. They yeah, literally right. like, they showed like the condom package one time, but he's talking about it, and he, Krieg is like handing him things. Like Krieg is like, "Hey, bro, like you don't be stupid, but if you're gonna be stupid, like I can help you be stupid." And they're never like say like everyone knows what they're talking about, and then he like pulls these keys out of his pocket or something, and like the condom falls out, and like Bridger's like, "Okay, yeah," he's like. I used to carry one of those. Like, it was just this great, like, kind of father-son moment where he's like, we know, like, we don't need to talk about this, right? Like, you got this? Great. <laughs> like, keep that in your pocket. See you later, kid. People Have a great People just carry time. those in their pocket? Aren't they supposed to, like, go in your wallet? And then, no, they're not like, supposed to go in your wallet at all. Like a whole they... ring and everything? Yeah, well, he was telling him to put it in his wallet. But no, you're not, they're not supposed to keep them in their wallet because it can degrade the, the latex. Like, it can rub, like, rub holes in it. Maybe. But when we were growing up, not a few, maybe that's you why there were there so, teenage, so many teenage pregnancies when I was in high school. Yeah, they tell you not or you can. You just have to like road. You're supposed to like change it out, like put a different one in like every yes. month or two or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be in your pocket for years. Dude, when <laughs> yeah. I have this safe sex talk with yeah. Tyler, I didn't only ask him if he carried it. I asked him where he bought it, made sure he had money to buy them. And yeah. said, if you ever run out, I will stop and get them for you. Don't be afraid to ask me because I'd much rather buy a condom than baby diapers. Right. <laughs> That's true. And a completely unrelated topic. Has anyone heard of 19 Crimes Wine? Yes. Well, yes. Martha Stewart actually finally made the label. Look. No, she did not. Oh. <gasps> That's amazing. I almost bought it just out of principle, but I didn't because. Does she move on the cover? I thought you meant she designed the label, and I was like, "That's weird." No, she finally made like the criminals. That's very (laughs) cool. The whole point of nineteen crimes, though, was that it was the nineteen crimes that got you exiled to Australia. Well, Well, maybe insider trading is one now. Maybe, maybe the special (laughs) edition wine. But that was why it's called 19 Crimes, because it's the 19 crimes that got you sent out of the UK and banished to Australia as a convict. Yeah, I read a book huh. about that. Yeah, I think I was here when you reviewed it. was that a book. very sad book. Yeah. There were only but 19 hey, crimes that would get you exiled? I mean, cool. how many crimes the could there list. be then? I think they're... Yeah. Yeah. They kind of played fast and loose with some of that. They're like, you blinked wrong. You are going to yeah. Australia. They could they could um, turn that into one of the crimes that would get you sent. Yes. It's not bad wine either. I don't drink a lot of wine. I've tried it. My mom's drank it when people have had it. And it's actually not a bad wine for yeah. like kind of a gimmicky wine. See, the one that I bought, it was um, like a red wine. 
and I didn't really yeah. care for it just because it was drier than I like my wine. Mm. This one was a Chardonnay, so it was supposed to be sweet. And I like sweeter wine. And I like white wine better because, yeah. I don't know, I'm a big old girl when it comes to wine drinking. Shona G and Phoenix and I went to a winery before Phoenix's going away party last year, two years ago. And they had like a blueberry wine. Oh, wow. I bet that was good. Ooh. Oh, my God. We got like three bottles of it. And not one survived <laughs> the weekend. Like, And I'm like I said, I'm not a huge wine drinker, but that one was phenomenal like we got one we're like oh we'll just drink one at the house and then we'll have one for shona or whatever to take home yeah no both bottles gone (laughs) (laughs) i like blueberry though man i like blueberry i I didn't know i liked blueberry until i drank that wine (laughs) and now i'm like too bad it's kind of far away right (laughs) it it seems a little much to drive all the way down there just for a bottle of wine (laughs) yeah i better make a crate (laughs) you might be able to order it online i probably could i i bet Shona G, if you're hearing me. Shona, what was the name of the winery? We need some of that wine up here. Yeah. Some of us have had hard weeks. We need wine up here. Yeah. I would order a case of it and just leave it here at the house and just kind of drink it at random. It was good. That it was that good. I might have to go back to Sam's next week and get me some of that Martha wine in case if they still have it. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. But I do not think there was any wine in my book this week. Well, there probably was wine, but the character that I read about didn't drink any. Darn it. Uh, that we know of. Well, yeah. Probably she... did the other kind of whining, though. <laughs> well, you know, maybe. 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 So, um, in honor of the Titanic sinking... This month, I read April 15th. Mm-hmm, a Titanic book called The Girl Who Came Home by Hazel Gaynor. And like I said, this book is about a girl who was on the Titanic. Her name is Maggie. She's from Ireland. This is 1912. And it's kind of in one of those split um, times. Like It seems like a lot of books are like that now. Has anyone noticed that or is it just my books that seem like that? No, I feel like it's kind of become a common thread to be like, start of the past and then go forward and then go back. And right. yeah. So this goes back and forth from 1912 to 1982. And our main character, Maggie Murphy, lives in a small town in Ireland. She's 17. Um, she's in love with a local guy. Obviously, because there has to be some love in there. But she is going to America with her. It's a group of people from the same town. I can't remember if the main person that she's going with is like her aunt or maybe a cousin or something like that. Of course, she's not very happy about it because Seamus, her boyfriend, can't go with her. Of course, his name is Seamus. Could we be more Irish? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, she tells Seamus, you know, we can write back and forth and, you know, so on and so forth. And and he says, well, you know, I'm not really that good of a writer. And so he has somebody help him. And he writes her one letter for every month that he's known her and gives her all the letters before she gets on the Titanic. Oh, <laughs> I know. How sweet is that? 
How many mm-hmm. months has he known her? If they've lived in the same small village, that could be hundreds. Well, no, just since they've been like in love or oh, whatever. Okay. So okay. it's not. It's still six romantic. Or seven. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you asking questions? It's about the romance. No, I'm here for it. Like, <laughs> please, someone do that for me, but not for the Titanic necessarily. But. Right. So she's um, a third class passenger. And still, even though she's a third class passenger, she's just in awe of the accommodations on Titanic. It's just an amazing ship. There's this one, um, I don't remember what you call him, but he works on the ship and kind of helps the customer or the passengers. He's a steward. Okay, thanks. His name is Harry. Harry's sweet on one of the other girls in the group named Peggy. So he's kind of hanging around all the time and he kind of helps them out and he sneaks them up to first class deck so that they can check out the first class accommodations. And, and, you know, he just becomes friends with the group. Well, then of course, April 15th happens and Titanic starts to sink and Harry's trying to get everybody from her group up to first class through this passageway that he knows that not a lot of people know about to get to the lifeboats and um, their group is separated and she ends up getting on a lifeboat the same one that Harry is in charge of rowing away from the Titanic to avoid the whirlpool that it's going to create when it sinks but nobody else from her group is on that ship and she doesn't know what happened to everybody and so on and so forth. So that's happening in 1912. And I don't want to go in too much detail because I don't want to give too many spoilers. And then in... The ship sinks. Right. right, We (laughs) all know the ship sinks. But I don't want to tell you, like, you know, people that survived or whatever. Obviously, it's the the girl who came home. So the main character survived. And the other split history for us is in Chicago of 1982. And the main character in that time period is a girl named Grace who is in New York for college and she's a journalist. She has, she ends up having to go home. I can't remember where home is, but it's like a farm community. Maybe she's in Chicago for college, not New York. I don't know. She's in the city. She's in a city somewhere. And of course she has a boyfriend there in love, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And she ends up telling him, don't wait for me. And she goes home for this family emergency because she doesn't know when she's coming back to the city, to college. Grace's great Nana is Maggie. <gasps> and it's the family knows that she was on the Titanic, but she never talks about it. She doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want people to mention it. She's put that behind her. She doesn't want to know anything about it. One of the things that Grace is supposed to do for journalism is write this amazing story and turn it into an editor to see if she can get it published. But of course, when the family tragedy happens, that kind of goes down the hill and she stays home for quite a bit. Her, Her mom has MS, so she has to help her mom out quite a bit and so on and so forth. And finally, her grandma, Maggie, tells her that she thinks it's about time for her to go back to college. And she has an amazing story for her to write about. (gasps) And (laughs) she starts telling her about her Titanic experience. And while she's telling her this story, she tells her that 
the letters that Seamus had written her were in her coat pocket and she gave her coat to a little girl on the lifeboat because she was cold and she didn't have a coat. So she lost the letters. Oh, and she no. had only she had only read a couple of them. She didn't read all of them because she didn't want to read all of them at once. Things happen. I don't want to give too much away, but that comes into play later in the story. And I can't, I don't want to say too much, but I want to because it was such an amazing story. <laughs> this, yeah. This book was really great. I, I loved it. It it wasn't too romancy. There was romance because, you know, you have young love and they're separated because of the boat. And when she gets to America, she vows to never get on a boat again. So she gives up on her romance with Seamus because she's in America. He's in Ireland. What are you going to do? They didn't have planes in 1912. And kind of, you know, Grace has the same thing with her boyfriend who's in the city and she's trying to take care of her mom in this farm on the farm and she doesn't know if she's ever going to see him again and so on and so forth and yeah everything ties in really well and I just really liked it it was a good book there was enough history in it to make it interesting but not so much that it was textbook the characters in it were just awesome I loved the characters they were wonderful it makes me want to read a sequel but I don't know what that would be because it it pretty much tied it up in a bow at the end. And that again was called The Girl Who Came Home by Hazel Gaynor. It was wonderful. Megan, you should read it. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I have thoughts, but I'm going to share them later. <laughs> I'm going to tell you things in a minute. But... I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts, but it's going to make sense if I tell it later when it's my turn. <laughs> so who wants to go next? I know, Keith, you probably have a romance, right? Not really. Not oh, really. Two weeks in a row, not really romancy. Ooh. Okay. Go for it. No, I had a romance last week. It wasn't strictly romance, but true. Okay, Megan, you ready? <gasps> no. <laughs> so the book I'm reviewing this week is called In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Clune. And um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that Jessica introduced us to T.J. Clune with The House by the Cerulean Sea, which was amazing. And like a ton of us have read it. And then he came out with the Under the Whispering Door um, a couple of years ago. OK, so this this book is by far my favorite. Um, okay. It is the best book I have read in years, <gasps> years. Wow. I, I mean, might have to I, move this up my TBR. <laughs> I really love the heck out of this book. So this is um, like a loose queer retelling of the Pinocchio story. Like hmm. not the Disney or anything, but the original Pinocchio story. Our main characters, we have Giovanni, who is, um, you know, the the creator. And he just creates all these things. He works on robots and he is a robot. And he just has this amazing personality. That's the cool thing about this book is that it is about this sweet little found family of robots who all have these personalities that you don't expect robots to have. They basically live in this copse of like trees and 
Giovanni has built like little houses into the trees and they live sort of near this huge junk heap and they have to be careful because they don't want to be seen by the people who constantly, well, by the robots who constantly bring more junk into the junk yard. But the robots that are there are basically robots that Giovanni has found and has fixed. And oh my gosh, these robots, it is like reading an adult humored Wally. Um, <gasps> it's so freaking amazing. I cannot wait. There's a nurse robot and her name is Nurse Ratchet. And she's a sociopath. She is a sociopath and her name stands for something. So she she is able to toggle her personality. So normally she's just kind of really mean and bitchy for lack of a better word. But then she has this empathy switch that she switches on when she has to take care of a patient, quote unquote. And she she has run out of lollipops forever ago because she's a very old robot. And every time she goes into her patient mode and she's like, here's a lollipop. And then it's like, you don't have any lollipops. And she gets very annoyed by that. I mean, it's just <laughs> so the robots are so hysterical. There's a little tiny Roomba like vacuum and his name is Rambo. <laughs> and he has the worst anxiety and if you've seen wally he very much reminds me of that little mo guy who anytime there's like any dirt or anything he's freaking out and cleaning and nurse ratchet and rambo have this rambo thinks she's the best and she is constantly putting him down and then he's just all smiley and he like never has a bad word for anyone he's just this sunshiny robot who <laughs> you insult him and he practically doesn't even realize you're insulting him and then there is one human that lives among them and his name is victor and our story starts because victor like giovanni who he pretty much like sees giovanni as his father figure because he has grown up his entire life with giovanni and he wants to follow in his footsteps and be a creator and be a fixer and a tinkerer. And he goes to the junkyard and finds this robot that's a person looking like he is. And um, he takes it back and tries to fix him. And he calls him Hap. There is a bit of a love story between Victor and Hap. But it's a very innocent, very sweet kind of love story. And I mean, like TJ Klune is known for pretty much. I don't really want to say a whole lot about the plot because it is just so amazing and you just have to get there on your own. But I mean, I can't explain the number of passages I underlined, which I am not the kind of person that does that. I can't tell you how often I laugh. I told every one of my children, two of whom are not readers, but I was like, I would give you money if you read this book. I can't even explain. I just want you to read this so badly. I told Mr. Keith he has to read it. It's just such a sweet story about love and the nature of love and the nature of forgiveness. And truly, I mean, it was unlike anything I've read. We always have said that the house in the Cerulean Sea is like a warm hug. This is like a huge embrace with two kisses on the cheek. I mean, <laughs> Ooh, this is like the most raving review. I feel like you've given a book in a long time. I can't yeah. even tell you how much I enjoyed this book. 
I deeply hope everybody else likes it because I'll be so sad if all these people hate it. But I was so upset when it was done. Okay. I mean, I instantly wanted to reread it. Oh, I'm so and excited. I'm unlike Megan, I didn't get my autograph copy early. Uh, it's being delivered. It's in the post now, but I mean, I just got the, just, the book. God smiled on me that week. <laughs> it was just such a great, great story. I mean, I love TJ Klune and this one was, I mean, this one was just everything he writes. I really enjoy. And this one was just a hit out of the park for me. So, yeah, I really highly recommend it. I mean, if I could have given more than five stars, I totally would have. And that was In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Klune. It sounds like a fun book. It does. It was so fun and so sweet. You want to go out and read it. I know I'm about to like literally throw the book on my couch and be like, sorry, (laughs) you have to wait. T.J. Klune has arrived. I mean, I read the Cerulean Sea one. Yeah, And I liked it more than I thought I would because I don't normally like those kind of books. But mm-hmm. the character, she, the, is it a she or a he? A he. He, he? he just makes them come alive in his books so well that it just makes you think you know them like in real life. Truly. Yeah. And I mean, this is the same kind of thing. I mean, and they're robots, but they have these personalities like the, the sweetest little kid the most bizarre, creepy ass nurse robot that you're like, thank God she's not working on me. Like her, her obsession is she wants to drill things. And I'm like, Oh my God, what a scary, scary. And that's in her name. Like her name is something about like healing. And then at the end it's like, and drilling. And I'm just like, Oh my God, what a scary freaking nurse. Wow, That's crazy. That's amazing. So my plan was not to use this book this week, but then my brain didn't want to read when I came home from work because I was tired. So I did not get through with my other book. So here we are. So I have to find another boat book. I already have one in mind. To be no surprise to anyone who knows me, I had a huge obsession, still have a huge obsession with the Titanic. It was probably one of the first things in history that I was like, I need to know every detail and I need to know all of it. And so shockingly, I have not ever read the book that I read. And this week, I am reviewing A Night to Remember by Walter Lord, which, according to most people, is probably like the preeminent historical recording of the events of the Titanic sinking and of the people on the Titanic, because this book was published in 1955. So many of the survivors were still around for him to interview and people like that to talk to. So it starts with when they're leaving... Belfast and kind of takes you through like, you know, things are really good. You're getting to know the names of people on the boat and they're just kind of talking about it. And then it gets to the night that the Titanic hits the iceberg, which is the 14th of April. And so many things that are in the movie by James Cameron came directly out of this book. And as I was reading them, I should have gotten little post-its because (laughs) I would literally be reading it and be like, wait, stop, and have to like replay that scene of the movie in my head. So, it, you know, it has the crow's nest guy sitting up there and being like, it doesn't smell like ice. And he's like, yeah, OK, uh, <laughs> as they hit an iceberg. And then you've you've met all of the first class passengers. You kind of get a feeling of 
what the third class passengers were having a huge dance party downstairs. Where did Jack and Rose go? Downstairs to the dance party. So in your book, Bonnie's in my book book too. too. Uh (laughs) Yes. So that clearly was an event that happened that night on the ship because it's been used now a hundred times. And so they're talking about that. And then they talk about the difference in how the first class passengers felt the iceberg versus third class. They didn't talk a lot about second class because they probably were just kind of in the middle where, you know, first class was like, oh, we've thrown a propeller blade, which they said multiple times in the book and they hear it in the movie as well. I think one of the stewards says it. Oh, no worries, ma'am. We've thrown a propeller blade. We'll be on our way momentarily. And they're all like, yeah, OK, great. And keep sipping their drinks. Whereas third class was like, mm, that was rough. <laughs> like something has happened upstairs that we should probably be or below, I guess, technically. And it was just really fascinating. And also, I think it's interesting in that because he wrote it in 1955, people like the unsinkable Molly Brown are not referenced as the unsinkable Molly Brown or as Molly Brown. She's referenced as Mrs. Whatever her husband's name is, Brown. So if you're reading it and you don't know who that is, you're just like, oh, okay, it's one of the first class women. You don't realize. I knew who it was immediately because I knew whose lifeboat she was in. So when they were talking about her getting on the lifeboat and I was like, that's the unsinkable Molly Brown. Like it had a moment of excitement, but he doesn't reference any of the women that way. They are all Mrs. Whatever their husband's name is. So that was interesting, but could be confusing if you don't know who people are in history. And I thought it was a really well done telling because it does talk. It gives direct quotes from like the trials and what people had told him in interviews and things like that. The most frustrating thing in the world to me was the wireless radio people. And it always frustrates me and all the boats around them because the Californian was 10 miles away and was like, Oh, do you see those flares? I wonder what those are. Like, didn't didn't react at all. They let their, like, radio guy just sleep. They're like, oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. Like, there's nothing going on. But they were like, oh, that boat seems like it's kind of, the lights are kind of sinking. That's weird. <laughs> and then they just went about their day like it was no big deal in the middle of the Atlantic that they felt like these lights were doing weird things. So that part always frustrates me. And I'm always impressed when they talk about the radio operators. One of the radio operators survives. The other one doesn't. But the fact that they wouldn't leave, like they, he's testified to like Captain Smith came down and said, you're every man for themselves, get off the boat. And they were like, no, we got, we got to send these messages. We're going to get these out. We're going to be fine. So they really didn't abandon their post until the last second, which is probably why the one did not survive because there was no boat left for him or the, he fell off the collapsible or there was lots of things that could have happened. But some of my, two of my lines that always stick out to me in the movie are when they're on the boat deck and Leo and his friends are all standing around and the officer, they it's not the same officer in the show, in the movie, but he says, stand back or I'll shoot you all like dogs, is said to have actually been said on the deck, not by the officer that they used. I think it was actually, he did in the, yes, hold on. I'm getting excited. I need to rewind. <laughs> breathe, um, breathe, Megan, breathe. I'm so excited. <laughs> She's going to have to change her panties after this review. <laughs> It is. It uh, it wasn't Light Toller, but it was Murdoch. It is said, I believe, it sounds right, mm-hmm. that Murdoch did have, allegedly had a gun and said, I'll shoot you all like dogs. There's debate whether he ever actually had bullets in the gun or if it was just a threat. So that varies in the movie. Well, and, remember and it, in the movie, he said that and he turned around and loaded his pistol. Yes, Because he when he said that, he didn't have anything in the, yes. or his revolver, I should his say. His revolver, yeah. yeah. They asked James Cameron, like, if you could go back and change one thing, what would it be? And it's the death of that character. Mm -hmm. Because there's no proof 
that that's what happened to him, that he killed himself. And he said, I didn't think about his family and his relatives seeing that when there's no actual, that's, that was the thing he said he would go back and change, that he would have made that a nameless officer instead of a main Murdoch. person. Yeah. Somebody who was uh, really on the boat. Well, yeah. And someone that was famous, like people right. knew who he was. I mean, he was not alive, but posthumously famous. And then the live, and I'm amazed that these things, like people remembered these things happening and all the chaos. They were trying to finally evacuate people, right? They're like, oh, like for real, we got to go. We got to get off, off of here. And there was a door that was stuck that they couldn't get open for to a stateroom or something. And they actually like pulled the door down, like with an ax or something. And one of the stewards goes up and goes, that's White Star Line property. You're going to have to pay for that. And I was like, that, that's the no, that's the scene with Jack and Rose when they come up from first third class and they bust through the other side of the door and the stewards running behind them go, and and they both turn around and yell, shut up as they keep walking. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was fangirling all over this book, but I felt like I know why people are obsessed with it and why it's kind of the predominant telling of the story of the night of the sinking, because there's so many people that he could talk to because they were still alive. It was 1955. So they're, they could still like access those memories and could tell him things. And it was so cool just to sit and read it from start to finish. And they talked a lot about like Guggenheim and everyone saying, yeah, he went and got dressed in his tails and him and his valet sat down and just went in, which is exactly, exactly what they did in the movie. He's the one sitting when the glass dome falls down mm-hmm. and he's all dressed yeah. in his tails. And, and so those are all things that were able to be put in the movie because this book was written. Because somebody took the time to really get all the stories, the most of the stories that they could from the survivors. So there was, if you are obsessed with the movie, you will want your highlighter and your post-its because every other page, you're going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. This is, you know, when they started singing the song or this is when this happened or this is when this happened or here's the cook who got drunk and survived for like <laughs> 15 hours in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So all of those really cool things are in there great story and it's still storytelling he's telling you from you know when they leave belfast to when they get to new york and like the discrepancies in the newspapers in new york of like kind of them being like everyone saved and then they're like just kidding like 600 not saved (laughs) because there was yeah the communication wasn't there and people didn't want to admit that the ship could sink right that she was unsinkable and they reference well you know she the first reports that came to new york was that, oh, her first four halls are full, but like she's still afloat. She's just limping here. And so as this time goes, you got to see the change of the reading of the newspapers and things like that. Oh, I fangirled so hard for this. And I read it on the 15th. I originally was going to read it if I hadn't been super tired. My plan was to start it and finish it in the time of the sinking because the ship took two and a half hours to sink. And the book's not that long. So I was like, okay, if I start it, I think it was like 840 our time if it was like 1140 out in the Atlantic. So if I'd started reading it at 840, I might have made it, but I didn't start till almost 10 o'clock. And by like 1045, I was like, I got to go to bed. Like, I can't. I, I want to enjoy this. But I made a point of finishing it on the 15th. So I read it. Might become a tradition. I might read it every year on the sinking just as my own weird mind fun adventure. And just FYI, a lot of those facts are in the book that I read. They so they reference, them. yeah, they reference um, a lot of that. They reference the guns, the yes. gunshots, not like they can hear them in the distance. 
And do you remember the part where, is it Kate's telling Jack, was her name Kate? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Rose. 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 Well, Rose is telling Jack everybody's little story when he's up there in first class with her. And there's yes. the really old guy that was with the really young yes. wife. She's in a delicate and way. And she's in a delicate way. They mention that couple in the book. And I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, because she that's a famous couple. Yeah. But I can't. I'm blanking on their I names right now. I can't think of who it is, but yeah. Yeah. She was like 19 and he was like, what, like 50 or something? Yeah. Yeah. When she was like his nanny or something Mm -hmm. weird, there was like a whole story to them. And so what made me think of your book when you were talking is they talk about in my book that there was a a steward from third class who was taking groups up like because he knew how to get around the gates. And I was like, that's Bonnie's book. Like, that's what she's talking about. So he existed. He was he was real person that they used part of his story in in your book which i always love that when you can pinpoint like this is what happened so i loved it i will read it again and again (laughs) and i will probably watch titanic tonight because (laughs) it's my favorite i can can. i I know far too much about like the titanic and the movies i could do a whole like by myself like dissertation on the titanic <laughs> i was telling people easter eggs about it like the other day at work when we were because it was the day of the like day of the sinking and i was like yeah did you catch this in the movie and they're like no and i'm like well now you know <laughs> go watch it again go watch it again with your mega notes here you go <laughs> yeah i will give you my dissertation my favorite blooper though i've only ever found like once or twice is when the ship's like sinking and one of the pastors is like praying and they're holding on to the, it's not a divot, but the um, thing that the ropes go around, like the anchor, not the anchor, but I know. where they wound up the anchoring note things. Capstan? Maybe. That sounds good. We'll go with it. Yeah. Like the big thing on the deck that you wrap the ropes around. <laughs> yeah. The hook. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in one, and I've only caught it a few times. I don't know if it's in every version, but the people holding on to the thing clearly, like you can tell it's foam because one person like squeezes their hands and it squeezes in with their hands. You can like see their, their like fingerprints on it. And I've only caught it like once or twice, but the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, <laughs> that's funny. There's other bloopers I'm sure too, but that one always made me laugh. I told you guys I was going to fangirl in the last episode when I got to talk <laughs> yeah. about my book and here we are. And I forever and always Lightoller will be, I think it's Lightoller is like my favorite of the crew because he's the one that was like, no, we need to go back. Like we need to go back and get these people out of the water. So he's always one of my favorites and his story. They talk about him a lot in the book. He like amazingly that, that, that he survived. Cause he like, shouldn't have, he was all over the boat. Like he was everywhere. I don't know how it's miracle. That man survived. Honestly, fun fact, the guy that plays him in the movie is also Mr. Fantastic in the fantastic four. <laughs> oh, Wow. I don't yeah. think I've realized that. I'm going to have to I, go back and watch the movie now. Yeah. When he's out <laughs> hunting or like not hunting, but when he's going through looking for the survivors and the guy goes, come about like that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's what's his name from the fantastic, the original fantastic four. Hmm. So was yeah. there, was there anything about a jewel? Was there really a fabulous jewel lost or anything like that? Probably. They've never like really given a solid story to something similar to the heart of the ocean. But I mean, there was all kinds of stuff on the boat that everybody, some of the women had their, had it in their pockets because their husbands were like, take your jewels just in case. Uh, As stuff got more dire, they started kind of putting things in people's pockets and, you know, trying to keep people and get people off and onto the boats. 
everyone's like she's unsinkable and then they're like oh shit no it's really sinking damn it <laughs> like, a lot of stories of people like going back and forth to their rooms trying to decide like should i take my pearls or should i not and they're like no get on the fucking lifeboat uh, <laughs> my biggest mystery that i and no one can confirm whatever happened to captain smith some of the survivors said they saw him in the water afterwards that like he was alive in the water uh but it's never like been confirmed so i always have liked his kind of heroic not really heroic death in the movie when like the bridge collapses in on him because it's just cinematically really cool and what i like love yeah i'm gonna say that that happened for real because it was it was so cool looking yeah i mean it would make sense (laughs) but it also meant like there was a long time where the captain was not in charge of the boat (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, which is really the consensus for a lot of people was that like he kind of just said give up like we're done here every man for themselves and they think he stayed on the boat, but there's no proof that he stayed on the boat. They know he didn't survive. They just don't know where he went. So, yeah, Captain Smith's my favorite enigma. Like, I'd love to know where he really went. Yeah, I'm sure there was lots of jewels, though, that went down. Lots of paintings. I mean, in, in mm. cars and all kinds of other things. So there's probably a lot of jewelry down there. If James Cameron and Bob Ballard could find a small enough submersive, they could probably, you know, go go down there and find some some <laughs> gems. I highly recommend A Night to Remember by Walter Lord and sit there with your pen and post-its and highlight everything that James Cameron took out of that book (laughs) and put in the movie because it'll bring you great joy. And I could hear it all in the characters' heads. Like, as soon as I read that, you're going to have to pay for that, I could hear the guy going down the hallway all mad. (laughs) You're going to have to pay for that. (laughs) That's White Star Line property. Okay, so here's a... I don't know if this is a tie-in or not, but I found myself thinking about the Titanic movie last night. Okay. We watched on TCM Now Voyager, which is a 1942 mm. Betty Davis movie. Okay. In which she plays this shy, mousy woman who kind of is urged to come out of her shell. And she ends up on a cruise and she falls in love with this guy on the cruise. And they end up going down to a stored car. And that's where they make out. And oh. I was like, does that did James Cameron get that from this movie? He could have. That's like oh, that's like the hand down the window is like mm-hmm. the best cinematography. I just I remember the actors. I I don't know if it was the actors talking or somebody else talking about how during that scene it was so hot that Leo's dark makeup kept dripping onto her name is Kate in real life, right? Yes, yes. Onto Kate and Kate's white makeup to make her look lighter kept running so they kept having to redo their makeup because it was so hot in that car (laughs) it probably was Uh, yeah because she was really pale i mean she's not super tan but she definitely had a lot of paler makeup on Mm -hmm. that could be that james cameron is phenomenal at things he very well could have been like i got an idea i'm gonna steal this right out of this movie (laughs) so So, what book did you read pat i read a mystery called Death Row by Ron Francel. Not Death Row, Death Row. Like a row? The title comes from the fact that the protagonists in the book, the guys who are solving the mystery, are a bunch of retired men in a small town in Colorado. They meet every morning at the local diner for breakfast, and they call themselves Death Row because half of them are hard of hearing. Uh, Oh, deaf. Deaf, as in can't hear deaf. 
Yes. I was thinking death and like death oh. row. I was thinking like a row, like a boat. Like, I was like oh. thinking, wow, they have a morbid sense of humor if they call themselves death, death row. <laughs> Clearly, we are hard of hearing in this Amen. podcast today because we all heard death. I've talked about a couple of Ron Francis books before. He mostly writes true crime. But in this case, he has gone with a novel, with a fictional crime story. And I found it really pretty entertaining. First third of it is a little slow. Second two thirds of it, you're turning pages rapidly. So the hero of the story is Woodrow Bell, who is a retired Denver homicide cop. And he's a big enough guy that they call him Mountain Bell. So for those of you who remember when there were different Bell <laughs> telephones. So Mountain Bell has retired from the police force and moved up into this little town, fictional town, I think, called Midnight, Colorado. And he's meeting with his buddies and they're just sort of, they're just putting in time. They don't really have something exciting to look forward to every day. One of the other guys in this group is uh, a priest. And this priest kind of tricks Mountain Bell into going to visit a friend of theirs who's in the local nursing home. Uh, and this guy is in there not because he's super old. He's younger, in fact, than these retired guys, but he has ALS and he is rapidly losing. He's He can't speak anymore. He can only answer yes or no by wiggling a finger. But they go and they meet him. And he he used to be a rock hunter. He found rocks and polished them and sold them to the tourists. He gives a rock to Mountain Bell while he's there. And, and sometimes they call him Woody, too. It's not always Mountain. So Mr. Bell thinks that, oh, this is just a, a nice little gift, a nice little token. He puts it in his pocket and doesn't think any more about it. And on his way out of the nursing home, they run into another resident who is outside on the street. He seems to have escaped because he is also in a certain stage of dementia. He's kind of knows where he is, but he kind of doesn't. He talks about the fact that he's going back inside to talk to his wife and daughter, and you find out that they are both long dead. Well, then he finds out that this man's daughter died. She was the victim of a really gruesome homicide 50 years before. And no one has, no one ever solved it, kind of. Small town police took sort of a crack at it, didn't get anywhere with it. And so it's gone unsolved all these years. But Woody Bell gets it into his head that he can do something nice for this. If he could give this guy some peace of mind before he dies by solving the crime of what really happened to his daughter, that that would be a good thing. And he enlists the aid of these other guys, the retirement circle that meets for breakfast every morning, because... Their age is now an advantage for them. They remember some of what happened. The ones who lived in this town for that whole time period remember some things that went on. There's a, uh, a newspaper editor who's edited their small town paper for 50 years, and he remembers this stuff. There's a doctor who remembers some other records and, and things. So they put their resources together and they find the retired detective who had first investigated the story and wasn't able to get anywhere with it. They get in touch with him, find a few nuggets from him, and they start putting this together. And then he also calls on... Uh, our, de our detective, who's the lead character, calls on his former partner in the Denver 
Metro Police, who is still working. And she she is really reluctant to help because she knows it's like, you are going to get me in so much trouble because he's asking her to run DNA tests on things that he's found and stuff that really should be going through official channels. And he's like, can you just (laughs) slide this in somewhere? Just run this test for me. Just look up this info. And she keeps going, oh, you are you're just going to get me in so much trouble. But you can't really. She talks tough, but she can't say no to them because they were partners for decades. What they find out is that this girl's murder was not a one of a kind thing. There's a serial killer at work and no one had picked up on the pattern before. So suddenly they start finding things and there are all kinds of creepy things that get tied in. There's a, a home, what had been a home for orphans, troubled youth. It started out as a good thing and got co-opted by somebody who bought it and ended up, they ran it for profit and the kids were treated horribly and abused horribly. And one of the abused kids turns out to be the object of their search when they think they know who they're looking for, for the criminal. And this guy, Erskine Midwinter, he was horribly abused. And you th- at first you think, oh, you can't help but feel sorry for him. Well, by the time you get into more of his story. No more. <laughs> no more. No, you just go. Ugh. It just makes your skin crawl. <laughs> Once again, don't want to give away too many spoilers because this book has some really good twists as you go through. But like I said, a slow burn at first, but a real page turner toward the end with some interesting and some really grotesque stuff, too. If you're, mm. you are absolutely creeped out by a grotesque ways of killing people, you might not want this book. <laughs> but uh, I really found it a pretty good, pretty intriguing read. And I love the angle of it being a bunch of retired people who previously didn't have much to look forward to and then found out that their experience and their knowledge is worth something and is useful and valuable to solve this crime. So it was a really cool book in that sense. And that is Death Row. That's Death <laughs> Row by Ron Francell. That's pretty that cool. Interesting. I like that idea that, you know, I, I love that idea when like older people are like, okay, well, yep, all we can do now is die. And then they come up with something amazing to do and mm-hmm. it gives them just new life. Mm-hmm. That's That's the coolest story ever. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I know Martha's read some of, what's his name, Ron? Francel. Francel. Yeah. She's read some He's... of his books and she likes she likes him. I think yeah, I have but... one of his books on my shelf. I want to say I bought one at I, the, I, I do. I have I, Alice and- Alice and Gerald, because yes. I, yeah, I, I scooped you on that. You did. Before you did. To, to be fair, you should have, because it's been on my shelf for- <laughs> Since 2019, whenever the book fest you was, should have. <laughs> I mean, it's, I've had ample opportunity to read it, so it's only. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it at the Oklahoma Book Fest, where you where met us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I feel like you. I feel like Martha met Ron Francell there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we interviewed him. She did. Yep. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I know we have an interview on the website somewhere. I've never met him, but he grew up in this area and was a reporter for our local newspaper, the Casper Star Tribune. In fact, my husband was in a class with him when they were in college. 
Oh, that's, that's cool. cool. He doesn't know. He says, I have no idea if he remembers me. He said, I just remember that he was in there. It was a journalism yeah. class. That's and, awesome. And the, the first of his books that I read was about the murder of a woman I used to work with. Oh, Damn. oh, I do think not I remember her, you telling us this. I do not remember. Her, not her murder. Her, her little sister was murdered. She survived. And then yeah. like 20 years after the attempt, the, the weight of it was too much. And she killed herself in the same spot where her sister was murdered. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. So if you're looking for a really a dark but, but good true crime story, that one was called The Darkest Night. Uh, yeah, okay. th that's not yeah. a light read. For anybody, yeah, no, that's not, so, a, uh, that's not a beach read. Well, it might be. It could be for true crime fans. I guess. Sitting right next to the one like reading the Jaws. Read. I'm tempted to buy a copy of Jaws just to do that picture. That would be hilarious. <laughs> you can read Jaws with a mountain of behind you instead. Yeah, <laughs> she was out there working on her all over tan. Yeah. <laughs> Perks of living in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> No sharks, and you can all over tan. I haven't all over tan, but I have gone shirtless to tan before. But I fell asleep in the, in the sun, and I burnt places. Oh, no. That's it, bad. Wasn't, it was bad. Sunburn on your nipples is not something I want to experience ever. Nope. Or yeah. your underarms. Can I tell you? Oh, I've mm. done that in the tanning bed yeah. where I've burnt oh. this part. Yeah. yeah, I've been there, done that. I think it was worse under my arms than my nipply bits. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Protect the tatas, ladies. Protect the tatas. Once you put your bra you can, on, you they really don't move around anywhere. a lot. When, huh? When I used to, you can have well the right kind of sharks anywhere. Because when I used to lifeguard, I land would shark. I would tell the little kids about chlorine sharks. <laughs> they're, in the, they're the same color as the bottom of the pool so you can't see them from up above but they're swimming around down in the very bottom of the pool which is why you little kids need to stay out of the deep end That's so <laughs> mean. they had just about caught on to me i mean they they pretty you know it's like santa claus or like <laughs> yeah and i i fell riding my bike and like badly skinned up the side of one leg so I came into work the next day and they were like, what happened? I said, I was cleaning the pool last night, got down too close to the chlorine sharks. And <laughs> you probably gave those poor, poor kids like a complex. I can't go into the water. What, the ocean? Yeah. No, the pool. <laughs> I was just like... fine with the kids not going in the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Should we end it there? Is that enough? today yes that's traumatizing the children of casper i'm traumatized now i need to go see my therapist yeah, these were the children of delaware but... <laughs> oh well they deserved it then Poor children of delaware <laughs> and that's gonna do it for three, three book, book girls. girls can't get enough of three book girls check them out on facebook twitter and instagram follow them on tiktok youtube and check out their website at threebookgirls.com and join the group three book girls tribe on facebook if you really love them share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events three book girls a steel trap production